This morning is uh, is the sixth week of what uh, what is an, an eight week series that, that we're going through on the Nicene Creed, a series titled "We Believe." And uh, and what we have been doing is is each week breaking down a, a different piece of the Nicene Creed and kind of examining how these words uh, that we speak all the time. Uh, work together to form for us as the church really a unique Christian faith and hope. And, and one of the things, if not perhaps the thing, uh, that may be at the heart of, of really all the church's creeds is that the Christian faith is a Trinitarian faith. In other words, that, that the Christian faith is in a God uh, who is not just a, a generic a kind of unknown God, but a God who has made himself known specifically as the one true God who, who reveals himself in three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. As the, as the Athanasian Creed states, we, we neither confuse the persons nor divide the substance. So there is one God, but yet three distinct persons. The, the Father who is the, the creator of all things. The, the Son who is the redeemer of all things. And the Holy Spirit who is the... Uh, well, that's not always so clear to us, is it? Uh, the Holy Spirit is often the, the forgotten member uh, of the Trinity, isn't he? Uh, we, we don't often have a lot of difficulty talking about the, the work of the Father creating all things. It's very easy for us as Lutherans who are, who are very set and, and have at the center of our faith the doctrine of justification, it's easy for us to talk about the work of the Son to redeem and, and restore all things. But oftentimes when we try to talk about the work of the Holy Spirit, we don't really have a lot of words for that, do we? Now, though we can maybe talk about the Holy Spirit creating faith, but I think for a lot of us, that, that almost just sort of puts the work of the Spirit just solely in the past tense. That, that the Spirit is, is active when conversion happens, when baptism happens, but then is just sort of waiting in the wings until someone else comes to, comes to believe. Now, I, I think there's, there's a variety of reasons for, for why we sometimes struggle to, to talk about the Holy Spirit. Uh, some, some suggest that, it, that it's a, a deficiency in, in Lutheran theology, uh, that we don't have a lot to say about the Holy Spirit, and we've just maybe relegated it and given it over to the, to the charismatics to talk about the Holy Spirit. But I think there's something else that makes it difficult, not just for Lutherans, but for many Christians in general, to talk sort of intelligibly or meaningfully about the Holy Spirit. And, and it's the issue of, of something that uh, is that really an influence for all of us, whether we recognize it or not. And, and it's what's called secularism. Uh, see, way back when, before this age called the Enlightenment and, and the rise of the Age of Reason, most people tended to perceive the world primarily in spiritual terms. So there was a God, there were things like angels and demons and spirits and, and all of these things, and they had a very real impact on the day-to-day goings-on of life. And so understanding and having a proper relationship with the spiritual realm was necessary for actually a day-to-day normal functioning life and society. But since the Enlightenment and the rise of what we call secularism, most people don't view the world in spiritual or religious terms. 
but primarily in scientific terms. The laws of nature, cause and effect. So the way that we see the world around us has changed very drastically. Now what many people, and and particularly a man by the name of Charles Taylor, have noted is that this hasn't only given rise to things like atheism and, and general unbelief in our culture, but it's actually changed the way that religious people believe and hold to their faith. So, for example, the way that we perhaps perceive the way that God relates to us is not so much personally, but it's primarily through the laws of nature that he established. And I think what often happens is we end up putting the work of God and the activity of God primarily in the past tense. So so we may not have any problem when we look at, at the great deal of complexity that is in human life and and throughout nature, and think, you know what, there must be a God who put this all into motion. That's often not a difficult thing for us to believe. And and then when we examine just the amount of, of suffering and violence and warfare in our world, it's maybe not that hard for us to believe that this God who made everything would actually do something to put it all right. And then we examine our our own sin and our own brokenness and the mess that most of us experience in life. And we think maybe God did something like send his son to die on the cross to pay for the sin of the world. But once again, we keep finding ourselves putting the activity of God and his relation to nature primarily in the past tense. And the Holy Spirit doesn't really allow for that. Because to say that we believe in the Holy Spirit is to say that we believe in a God who is still personally active within creation today. Still personally working in the life of the church and in the lives of his people and throughout the world right now. That the primary thing that is directing the course of history is not simply the laws of nature or cause and effect or something like that. But the primary thing that is aiming history is the God who is personally active with us right now. And is guiding everything toward his good purposes for the world. And so if we say we believe in the Holy Spirit... We believe in this God who is still personally active in our world and in the church and in our lives right now. Now perhaps one of the things that we should ask is how is this God active through the work of the Holy Spirit? How can I know where the Holy Spirit is present? Can I even know if and when the Holy Spirit is present? Now, now, people have given a, a variety of answers to, to these kinds of questions. Uh, for example, if you have ever heard, and, and I'm sure you, you probably have, a statement like, wow, the Holy Spirit is, is present in this place. Or, or wow, that, that was spirit-filled. Or, or, or wow, the, the Spirit is, is moving in this place. When you hear statements like that, what is often meant by those statements? It's usually, at least in my observation, it's usually something regarding a particular emotional response 
to either a song or a message or, or, or something within the work of the church. That, that our notion that the Spirit is present is connected to certain emotions and feelings that are brought about by something that the church does, either in worship or service or, or any of the many things that the church does. Now, now I'm not here to, to criticize our, our emotional responses. I mean, if you have an emotional response to the Word of God, I don't want to downplay that. But we all know that our, our emotional responses can be rather subjective, can't they? What causes tears of joy for me may not cause tears of joy for you. What, what causes sadness for me may, may not cause sadness for you. In fact, one person may have this very emotional response to, to an extremely old hymn that was written hundreds and hundreds of years ago because of the personal connection to their life, where someone else has the exact same response to, to a brand new song that the church has produced. Our, our emotions, they, they, they vary, and, and no one's experiences are totally the same. And none of that actually tells us whether or not what we're hearing or singing or doing is really in accord with the truth of God's Word. I believe that our emotions, just like our reason and our senses, are, are good. They're given to us by God. But I don't think that we can look to emotional responses as certainty to whether or not the Spirit is actually working in our midst. Now, now others, particular the, particularly those within uh, the charismatic church, they look to miraculous signs and wonders as the primary indicator of the Spirit's presence. So we can know if the Spirit is present and working in something if we see miracles happening, healings occurring, speaking in tongues. Those are the indicators that the Spirit is present and active and, and is really, really with us. Now, we certainly can't deny that there's biblical basis for this, right? I mean, you look throughout the scriptures and, and particularly the early part of the book of Acts, and when the Spirit is present, what sorts of things do we see happening? We see miracles, we see healings confirming the authority of the apostles. We see the Gentiles speaking in tongues as a sign that, that the Holy Spirit has descended not just on the people of Israel, but also on the other nations. But at the same time, we also hear words of warning from Jesus. Words like what we hear him say in Matthew chapter 24, when he says, false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. So if false Christs and false apostles even do miraculous signs and wonders, well then that can't be the primary foundation we look to for the presence of God's Spirit, can it? Now, now I don't bring these sorts of things up just to kind of be like a theological stick in the mud or be this church curmudgeon, or, or to just unnecessarily criticize people. I bring these things up because I believe that we don't actually have to look to those kinds of things to know whether the Spirit is present. We don't have to look to those things because I think Jesus actually told us where we can know the Spirit is present. 
He told us how we can know that the Holy Spirit is with us. How we can know that the Holy Spirit is actually here in our midst right now. I'm going to take a look at our our gospel lesson this morning from, from John chapter 20. And in John chapter 20, this has come right after Jesus has already risen from the dead on, the, on Easter Sunday. And, and he's appeared to Mary Magdalene, and then now Jesus appears to his disciples, minus Thomas. And, and Jesus comes into their midst, and, and as we read this again, I just want you to listen to this interaction with Jesus and his disciples, and consider it in light of this question, why does Jesus give the disciples the Holy Spirit? And then also along with that, why does God and why does Jesus continue to pour out the Holy Spirit on us in the church today? To listen to this, we pick it up at verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. So here Jesus appears to his disciples, and, and naturally they're, they're fairly terrified because people don't just come back from the dead. That's not a normal day-to-day experience. And so he comes into their midst and he gives them this reassurance saying, peace be with you. And then he shows them his hands and, and his side to, to indicate that, yes, I have in fact risen from the dead. And he says once again, peace be with you. And then he says, just as the Father sent me, so I am sending you. And as he says this, he breathes on them, giving them the Holy Spirit to do what? To give them the authority to forgive sins. Do you want to know where the Holy Spirit is present? Do you want to be sure that you have the Holy Spirit present with you? Do you want to be sure that when you gather in worship, that the Holy Spirit is present? Simply ask yourself, is the forgiveness of sins one for us in Jesus being proclaimed here? Because where that is present, we have the promise and the assurance that the Spirit is present there. Anywhere that that scandalous free gift of grace won for us by Jesus on the cross. Anywhere that that is proclaimed, the Spirit is there. Anywhere that people, broken people are being made whole by the mercy of Christ, the Spirit is there. Anywhere that hope is given to the hopeless because Jesus has overcome every sin every ailment, because he's overcome even death itself by his resurrection. Anywhere that is happening, the Spirit is there. And do you know what that means? That means the Spirit is present with you, even if you don't feel it. 
even if your faith is, is wavering and, and hanging by a thread, you have the promise that, that Christ is continuing to cling to you. That the Spirit is continuing to bind you to Himself. Because you have heard and believed the gift that Christ has given you. The gift of His forgiveness of all of your sins. That every wrong has been made right on the cross of Jesus. Because you have that. You have the Spirit. We don't have to look to to the miraculous. We don't have to look to the marvelous. Because our God in Jesus Christ has come and made His presence known. In the monotonous and, and the mundane things of life. Through the simple word, your sins are forgiven. The Spirit is there. You know, one of the the, the titles uh, that we see given to the Holy Spirit in the Nicene Creed is is this title, The Lord and Giver of Life. I find that that title so striking when I think of it in light of all of the things that we experience that promise us life. We're bombarded with it again and again and again. Media and, and advertising are, are constantly selling us products that say, if you buy this, if you have this, your life will be better. We constantly hear, hear politicians of, of every party telling us, if you vote for me, I will make your life, I will make your country better than you could ever imagine. The siren song of temptation is is constantly calling out to us. Calling us to to seek and and find life in things that in reality only breathe death. But in spite of what the world would have us believe, we have a God who is still alive, who is still active in our lives and in the church today. Through the work of the Holy Spirit who is constantly calling us to come and find life in the only place that truly offers it. The cross of Jesus. And you have the promise that you have received that life because you are defined by one simple word. Baptized. Because you've received that gift, you have the promise of the Spirit. You have the promise that you already have life. As I think about the the work of the Spirit in in the church and and in our lives today, I'm reminded of of words uh, by a man by the name of Richard John Newhouse. Uh, He was uh, formerly actually a Lutheran pastor who who converted to, to Roman Catholicism. Uh, before he he later died in in 2009. And and he has interesting language that, even though it maybe violates my my Lutheran sensibilities, I I find it just so intriguing. He talks about the church not as an alternative to the world, but rather a sacrament for the world. And, And I love that language. Because I'm reminded of the way that our God continues to come and offer his presence in the bread and wine of communion where he gives us the body and blood. Where he promises us his presence in baptism. And as people who have received the life that his spirit brings us in those gifts, we are then sent out into the world to be vessels that bear the spirit for the world.
that you and I, as we go out into the world, as we embrace our vocations, anywhere that we go, anywhere that our words are filled with the word of Christ and his forgiveness, the spirit goes with you. And it may just be that a world that does not believe in God, a world that discounts even the idea of God, may encounter God through you. Because wherever you go, the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, goes with you. Amen?